You're listening to At Home and Abroad on Irish Radio Canada and one of the things we try and feature from time to time are some recent writings and books that have been published by Irish authors and as with a lot of what we do most, uh, what we try to cover are what may not be available on mainstream radio and a book was published towards the end of last year by Liam Nevin called Brightening Over Dillon's 1960s Semi-Rural Ireland and a Schoolboy's View of Life Growing Up There and I have Liam Nevin on the phone. Good morning Liam, welcome to At Home and Abroad. Good morning Austin, uh, how are um, you? Okay. First of all, Brightening Over Dillon's, the, the name itself, where did you get that and what's the, the story behind it? Yeah, we lived in a little cottage um, about a mile and a half from our village and there was a a little cottage, there was four little cottages and there was this one just across the road which faced to the west and uh, my mother used to try and cheer us up on a wet summer's day and say, it's brightening over Dillon's, <laughs> trying to get us to cheer up and uh, enjoy the summer. So I, I remember her words and then I thought maybe that would be a good idea for uh, title of a book. Right. So the um, when you say you remembered her idea, that in effect is what the book is. It's memories, memories of growing up in Ireland in the 60s uh, as a schoolboy. And um, that was County Kildare, was it? It was, yeah. yeah. We lived um, in a village called Manus, which is quite a big town now. And uh, at those times, there's only a few hundred people in the village. And uh, my father worked in the big seminary there, St. Patrick's College, which at that time was solely for the uh, education of priests for the outside of Dublin Diocese, the rest of Ireland, really. And he worked there for 40-odd years. And uh, at now it's a part of the University of Dublin. But at that time it was solely for priests, and uh, it was, you know, the people of the town never went in there except if they were working. And uh, the town itself was quite small, but now it has expanded considerably. I remember regularly driving through it on a Friday evening and a Sunday night on the way out of and back into Dublin. And it was just a a a bottleneck in every direction. That's right, it was, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, now to have a bypass, but still a bottleneck. (laughs) Indeed. So, um, So then the idea to put your thoughts on paper from childhood and the uh, experiences that you had, what drove that? Well, uh, school was an unpleasant time for me. Uh, I loved to learn, but the corporal punishment element at the time was quite considerable. And uh, I I wanted to put down on paper that, you know, the generations, the uh, present generation and few generations before may not uh, realize how torturous uh, school life was for us, uh, for me certainly. There was two two sort of elements in my life. There was home life, which was very loving. My mother and father and brothers and sister were very loving people, and we had a you know a really nice home. But school was completely opposite. Uh, we had were caned, and we got uh, slaps around the ear, all sorts of corporal punishment, which nowadays would you know. People wouldn't even consider it, you know. They wouldn't maybe not believe that things at that time. So I wanted to put it on paper uh, how things were in the in the sixties, fifties, and sixties. 
And to that extent, uh, if I can switch back to Maynooth, because Maynooth was a, a unique place, as you say. Uh, it had the National Seminary in it, and you're saying your dad worked there. Would you say that um, <coughs> growing up in the shadow of Maynooth had any impa- impact on your life? It did, really, because um, the college itself was a sort of separate town, if you like. They had their own farm. They had their own, you know, had fields, pay and all sorts of things. And it gave a lot of employment to the local people, but it was sort of self-contained. And uh, uh, before my time, really, the, the people in the town were really badly off. They were very poor, while the people in the college... Uh, had had pretty good life. There was a bit of a contrast there, but um, and then uh, as children we used to see the, the students. They used to go for a walk around by our house, and there'd be uh, uh, maybe twenty, thirty students in a walk, all dressed in black. And these sort of images, uh, you know, were, were became into my mind, and you know, remained there all through my life. Of the difference between the two sort of setups. So, Liam, what I found interesting on that is that when it came to talking about uh, the chapter of priesthood and you discussed and talked about the missions and you, despite living in Maynooth, you draw on Dalgan as a reference source and uh, uh, use Dalgan life to describe. Uh, what brought you to Dalgan or what? why did you choose that? Um well, Dalgan was sort of was about twenty miles away from us, and uh, I I just called in there one day to have a look around, and the, and the young lady was very kind, and she gave me lots of information about life as a student in the fifties and sixties. So then I I said I'd base that one. There's there's quite a few other seminaries that did missionary education as well, but I I just decided on that one because I was familiar with it, and. I thought it might be a good, good site for just to. Uh, it wasn't really anybody I knew would there, but I used it as a sort of a something I could write about. Well, I, I, what was fascinating, and that was when I was reading that, I held the chapter over and handed it over to my wife, and let her read it because uh, I spent a bit of time in Dalgan. So you did, yeah. I did. Yeah. So it was it was fascinating. Um, oh yeah. Now, it yeah. had changed from your description, because I was there in the 70s. Um, yeah. But, uh, yes, indeed. And uh, some of the other things that you described, which uh, you I know anyone who grew up in Ireland in the 60s, 70s would relate very strongly to, despite the fact that you're writing from a Kildare perspective and around Maynooth, I know you talk about the missioners and the, the missions the coming through the town. Um, and those experiences, the the the, fi- the the fire and brimstone. Yeah, yeah, about the mission. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, they were pretty. Uh, I described about they going to a retreat in Dublin and from Farnham with the Jesuits, and they used a kind of good cop, bad cop sort of routine. Which uh, now now I, I look back, but one was really, really fire and brimstone, and the other one was a little more gentle. And uh, missioners seemed to be come in pairs as well and they, they sort of use the routine as well which frightened me as a kid because they talk about hell and you know all those sort of things and which was quite frightening you know I used to have nightmares about it sometimes 
So, Liam, what you chose to put on paper were, in many cases, what all of us did and the type of play experience uh, that, as children, we would have had and shared it so that it allows us to go back down memory lane. Oh, that's good, yeah, yes. Yeah, I wanted to share these things, and um, I'm pleased that people, quite a few people have said to me, this is similar to what we did, and etc., which was nice. You know? Right. And the kind of response you're getting um, since you published, uh, mainly that type of one that this has brought us down memory lane, and we, yes, I can relate to that. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Actually, I, I, I gave a book to a friend of mine in Portugal, and uh, he's a man from England. He's from sorry, and uh, I gave it to him thinking I didn't know what he'd think about it, but he was very, very pleased with it. He surprised me, actually, because his his situation in England was quite different to ours, but he related to a lot of things in his childhood which I had written about and which, uh, you know, I was surprised to hear, and he was very pleased with it, so that was nice to hear. Right. And the characters that you came across in um be it playmates or, or others, again, pretty typical that all of us would have experienced and your experience with the GAA, very much what, again, as say all of us would have experienced in the growing up in Ireland in the 60s, 70s, late 50s. That's right, yeah. Yeah, the characters, um, especially I wrote about the chap we call Madman Murray and uh, a deaf and dumb man who were real, real characters and uh, at even in the 50s and 60s, a lot of people were sort of homeless and you had the traveling people and individuals as well who moved from farm to farms. And I found them very interesting people, you know, and some of them were, were abused, you know, by people heckling them, etc. Especially uh, Mr. Murray. He was, you know, he wouldn't go to the towns and for fear the young fellows would would jeer at him, etc. So, it, you know, I wanted to put that down in paper that these people did exist. Well, Liam, this isn't your first book. You have, you've uh, written another book, which is also very interesting. It's uh, The Tobacco Fields of Meath. Um, and it's That's a fascinating right. account of growing uh, tobacco growing in Ireland. Uh, I'll be honest, I didn't know there was tobacco growing in Ireland. I knew there was a lot of tobacco use, but not tobacco growing. Um was this widespread, or was it just a small area? No, in the uh, my grandfather was involved. He was from Navan, and uh, his um, employer was uh, Sir Nugent Everard, and he um, decided to grow tobacco in the early 1900s. And my grandfather got very interested in it and developed the situation and the crop with him. But at that time, there was tobacco grown in uh, Waterford. Waterford and Wexford was a big tobacco growing area in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. And also in other parts, uh, a little bit in Kildare and Carlow. And uh, a lot of people did experiment with it. Um, my, my grandfather left a lot of papers regarding his 30 years growing tobacco in County Mead, uh, which I decided to put together because I didn't really know myself about tobacco. My father didn't mention it much, but... When I was doing a family history, um, I came across all these papers that my grandfather had left, cuttings from newspapers and photographs. And 
So it had to be a good idea to put it all together and let people know. Because most people that read the book didn't know tobacco was growing in Ireland. It was a different type of tobacco. But uh, if it was mixed with Virginia tobacco, I think PJ Carroll and Dundalk, um, they bought a lot of the tobacco that was growing and they mixed it. And it was quite successful. But I think the the government of the early, the early uh, Free State government wasn't really interested in having enough problems. So the, the industry sort of died by the end of the 1930s. Liam, you settled in the UK. Um yeah. An interesting time as an Irishman in the UK with Brexit on the horizon. Um, first of all, do, do or have you maintained very strong ties with Maynooth and go back home regularly? And uh, how do you view the relationship um, between what is now going to be uh, England, UK, outside of Europe? Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, I'm a little bit... Uh worried about it because of the trading situation with the, the the European community, the common market, as we used to call it. But um, I, I'm a very, uh, sometimes I'm worried about the jobs here, except for young people, what's going to happen to them. But then at the same time, it's a new opportunity for Britain to trade with countries outside Europe, as they do. But, um, yeah, the, the young people here are definitely are are a little bit concerned about their future. We just have to wait and see how, how the negotiations negotiations develop. I still have a lot of ties with Ireland. I go back quite regularly. My son lives there, actually, in in, in Dublin, and, um, you know, I go back and forth quite often. Um, I don't think there'll be any problems with passports, etc. if, you know, Ireland and, and Britain was had a, an agreement since, I think, about 1921 that Irish people would have free access to Britain and vice versa. So, um, some of the my my wife is from Portugal. She has a passport, which is also uh, had a, a Portuguese one. So, you know, there might be some problems coming in and out of Europe. I don't know how it's going to operate. If it's going to be a visa system or whatever. So, me with an Irish passport, um, I'm resident here, but uh, I don't know how it's going to operate. And I have no problem going to Europe or coming back. I don't know. It should be okay. I don't think there should yeah. be any problems. <coughs> so, Liam, when did, how long have you been in, in the UK? I've been over 40 years here. So you would have seen. Uh, I so you'd have seen huge mm. changes then. So now, when you go back to Ireland, um, in comparison to the growing up time when you were growing up, and the relative simplicity on one level of life, the harshness on another level, and uh, the lack of what were com- some simple comforts of life in many cases. Uh, way back uh, that you write about and what you now see when you're back and forward and there's always uh, an ability to see the difference when you hop in and hop out rather than when you're there the whole time so how would you see the way things are and how things have gone yeah things have changed dramatically really Um, as I said uh, the little village we grew up in is a massive town now it's sort of almost overtaken by Dublin you know uh, the thing I've noticed is that uh, when we, you probably know by my accent, uh, it's a country accent, and uh, but the, the people in Maynooth now have sort of Dublin, semi-Dublin accents, which, uh, you know, the accents in Ireland, I think, have changed. A lot of people don't have the, you know, the 
area accents they used to have the county accents. Right. You know, you could recognise. Yeah. You could recognise somebody by their accent. You nearly you could. County they were from. You could. You nearly could pinpoint the. In some cases, you could nearly pinpoint the townland. That's right. And but now, um, I speak to young Irish people here, and and I wouldn't know where they were from. They sort of have a mid-Atlantic sort of an accent. Right. <laughs> you know. You know. So things like that have changed dramatically. And another thing is I've noticed that some of my friends here and some people I knew decided after maybe 30, 40 years, say, oh, we'll go back and live in Ireland. They'd love to live in Ireland. And then a few months later, they're back here <laughs> because things have changed so much they can't they can't really cope with it, I think. Uh, you know, it's a different situation, a different country, I think, since I left it. But still, I like to go there, but uh, uh, things are so different now. And uh, I don't know whether I could settle there anymore. <laughs> I, c- <laughs> I can relate. I can relate. Uh, so, Liam, your books are available. Uh, the manuscript publisher is the publisher and available on Amazon. Uh, and uh, uh, both books are available online. That is yeah. um, Brightening Over Dylan's and The Tobacco Fields of Meath. And um, if anyone does a search on Google for them and puts in Amazon, I'm sure it'll bring it straight to it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I want to thank you for taking the time. It's been fascinating and wish every success with it. And as I'm enjoying the read, um, I found certainly I could relate to many aspects and uh, identify with many aspects of what you were writing about. Uh, what county man are you from? Uh, Originally County Galway. Um, oh, Galway, yeah, yeah. Uh, we travelled around a little. All right. Yeah, thanks for that, Austin. It was great to speak to you, and thanks for ringing me. It's, uh, and I'm glad uh, you're enjoying the book so far. Indeed, so. indeed. Th- thank you very much for ringing, and I hope wish you every success. And you. In the future. Thanks, Liam.